Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio. Your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 18 in our 2023 NHL Draft Review. This is our Central Division, powered by Instat Hockey, often the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. We are going to start with the Colorado Avalanche first segment, so... Brad, uh, we are going to talk about Caleb Ritchie uh, first off the sp- off the top, and he was the 27th overall first-round pick of the Avalanche. And, of course, we've talked about him extensively through the year. Uh, talk. Let's talk a little bit in terms of value of that spot at 27. Now, I had him 22nd on my list, so five spots is irrelevant. Uh, one of the things that they had brought up in the commentary after they had drafted him and I happen to really appreciate is he, his willingness to battle through that injury this year, you know? So for me, it really showed a lot of grit attributes, a lot of perseverance, um, obviously a lot of resilience in that respect. And then also from a, you know, a team standpoint is there is a willingness to sacrifice because you know, he's going to go through a lot of pain throughout the year. And from, from that standpoint, like there's a balance between being, you know, brave and crazy tough. Um, and, you know, you don't want to make the, th- the injury worse, but you certainly can appreciate it shows that he has the capacity to be a playoff player in the NHL because nobody survives the playoffs without being hurt in some respect. Yeah, his, his injury was a labrum issue. And uh, as most people know, listening to this show, that's really going to affect you as a hockey player. So uh, very difficult for him to initiate contact with his shoulder. Obviously, it affected his, his shot to a degree. That said, like, he still, he still showed excellent shot quality this season. Uh, the big thing with, with Richie was coming into the year, he was basically projected top 10 pick. And then as the season started, we were unaware of that injury. He, he started out pretty well at the link, even though he got injured there. And then as the season began, it, it was one of those situations where you kind of always wanting more because of the toolkit, because of the hockey sense and, and skill level. You just expected him to dominate the OHL, and he didn't. He was good but he was much more complimentary than he should be theoretically based off of what he is. So, you know, it's one of those situations for us at hockey prospect as a staff and for myself, where it's, it's, it's very difficult to get the right read on the player because you're left with more variables uh, than you typically would want in a first round pick. But I, I like uh, where Colorado got, got the player because it was, you know, as you said, between 27, 32 range, uh, I believe in hockey prospect, we had him a little bit higher than that. And uh, it's one of those situations where when you look at his long-term outlet, he's one of the the most projectable players in terms of being able to at least play in a three C role and, and as a high floor. And that's when you look at his, their last pick, Oscar Alausen, it was almost the exact opposite of Richie where Alausen was much more boom and bust top six or nothing. Uh, very, very impressive talent, a better skater, more dangerous off the rush than Richie. But so this, this is an interesting pick in terms of the contrast where Richie is much more of a 200 foot foundational player. Um, the one thing with both of them was the pacing and just the switch, the gear switch. But now with the injury, you got to give Richie a uh, benefit of the doubt. hundred percent. And it's about, we talk about this uh, frequently through the show of the 
ability and the necessity for teams to be able to mitigate risk, not only just in one individual draft class, but over several draft classes. You know, like you have to be cognizant of that, of what's coming through your system and how much risk you're taking. And, you know, there are times where I know people will say, oh, just always swing for the fences. But if you swing for the fences every time, your probability of striking out is so much higher. You strike out in two out of three drafts, you're in trouble. Like, like then you're starting to rob Peter to pay Paul from that respect. So, you know, I, I commend him on the pick that at that spot. Let's talk about Mikhail Guliaev, who they took 31st overall. I had him 28th, so three spots is irrelevant in, in that respect. But that's the that I look at that contrast between, you know, Alausen and Guliaev and, and Kalem Ritchie and what risk, you know, along that, if you have a scale, you know, which the risk, and I think Guliaev is, is in the middle. But you certainly have to appreciate his hockey sense, his puck moving ability. Uh, there is upside there in terms of running a power play at the NHL level, and there's no rush to bring him in. And is he a, a look at him as a, potentially a long-term replacement for maybe uh, Samuel Girard? You know, eventually Girard may either move on or by the time Guliaev is ready, he could be, you know, moving off. So I like that pick based on what they're looking at in the future. And they're looking at three years down the road. Yeah, I, to, your, to your point, I think you're right in the sense that if Gerard moves on, that that would be the player, that, that's the type of player they would want to bring in. Uh, there are some qualities that are similar to Gerard, specifically with some of the puck moving ability. Not as good on his edges as Gerard, not as slippery as Gerard, but he is a very good skater in his own right. Uh, I think when you look at draft strategy, right, we just talked about Richie's floor. Right, very high floor, especially when you take into consideration that he's not having to undergo um, major surgery now. Um, or sorry, if he is, it's. I remember reading uh, uh, about the fact that it's not going to be as significant a surgery in terms of yeah, probably just this great. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not as bad as it was supposed to be. So when you look at the fact that you know he's certainly going to be more competitive next season as long as he's he's healthy and the floor is significantly higher, that means when you look at Mikhail Guliev and you look at Colorado could do, they could take on a tremendous amount more risk. And that's what you always are presented with when you're looking at a 5'10 defender that's that's smaller, right? So not the biggest frame, right? It's Height is one thing. It's all about the frame. It, this kid's frame is not very big. Guliev is not a big defender. What he lacks in size, he makes up for in physical instincts. He's an aggressive defender. Yeah. Right? This is So one, one of the big differences between Sand and Pelika and Mikhail Guliev is that Pelika, he'll hit you uh, when it's when it's necessary, Guliev will go through you. He hits to go through a player. He lo- it's very similar. I, I made this compa- uh, contrast before, and it's, it is similar. Kyler Yamamoto is one of the strangest player types in the game. Just got signed by Seattle. He's a five foot eight power forward in a sense, and he has to be with the type of game he plays, which is why he gets injured more often. Yeah, uh, and that's where you get more functional risk with Guliev. He he will do what Yamamoto does in terms of torpedoing through players, in terms of hitting through players that are way bigger than him. But yeah. then there's always more functional injury risk as a as a result. And that of was that. Uh, and that was um, Cronwall out of Detroit when he was first drafted. Very similar in that respect because Cronwell was only was only 5'11 and about 175 pounds. He wasn't very big, and but he yeah. would do the same thing. And that was the concern. I, I remember talking to Jim Nill about that specifically because like, he was like, is there an injury risk with this player? And he goes, well, maybe we're going to see what he looks like when he's 21, 22 and how much more mass he could put on. Obviously, he got a little bit taller, but much, much thicker. Guliaev won't be able to put on that much mass, but if he plays that – 
you know, 187, I think that's perfectly fine in terms of that. He has enough strength and weight in there to be able to handle that. But that's going to be an injury risk for Colorado. And it's something to consider just like, you know, you appreciate when players do that, but there's also, you got to pick your spots once in a while because you're going to get worn out and injured in, in that respect. So, you know, like him as a player, things to think about, things to mitigate, you know, development cycle is going to be at least three years. So that's no, no rush on them. So, you know, where they got them, where he got them in terms of value, I thought was very good. So I know you briefly want to talk about a really late round pick for Colorado and seventh rounder, 219th overall in, in Maro's um, Zedlika thoughts on him quickly, big body kid, six foot two, 200 pounds. Yeah. Zedlika, very good net front presence. Very calculated player. He's an intelligent player. Um, the big thing with him is, is Colorado is going to have to get his skating uh, another notch uh, up. Actually, full 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 two gears up. He's he's one of the worst skaters I would argue in this class uh, relative to his age. But it's one of those situations where if you can get that to a functional level, which I'm sure Colorado average. might be banking on, if you get it just average, there's a lot to like. He's very crafty around the net area. A lot of his goals are in that front. Uh, he had a very good season, very productive year in extra league in over in Slovakia. Uh, put me on notice. I, I couldn't get behind it just because of the skating, but they took him in the seventh round. I mean, so right. you're talking about not, not a ton yeah, of there's risk. No risk. There's no risk there. Yeah, so uh, it's one of those situations where I, I really like when teams draft um, overagers late because you have more data points. You have more of an idea of what they already are, and that – that shaves down at least some of the projection, which I think is critical when you're looking at some of those later rounds. And that's what Colorado did. Um, and, and it goes back to the situation too, where it's like, you only have so many picks. Um, so it's, it's interesting that they, uh, they did try to mix up their draft in the sense that, you know, Richie, he's much more of a finesse oriented forward. And then you got Guliev, who's a, I wouldn't call him dynamic, but a, 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 an offensively gifted 200 foot uh, defender. And then, they go into uh, more of a uh, in-your-house, more cerebral style of forward up front. So it's interesting how they mix up their options there. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We return. We'll talk about the Minnesota Wild right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But altogether, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. 
through an integrated series of best business practices, and we designed solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back for our 2023 NHL Draft Review of the Central Division, powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're now going to focus on the Minnesota Wild. And in the first round, 21st overall, they took Charlie Strammel. I had him 34 on my list. I had projected him as a third-line center or winger, depending on his development, so that was uncertain. But uh, my understanding with the Minnesota Wild and their staff, after talking to him at the draft, they project him as a center. I think one of the things that made him a little bit more challenging to, I think, gauge this year is that he direct he made that direct jump into college hockey at a really young age. He was 17, you know, and he didn't turn 18 until October. So, you know, that's a massive jump for a player in retrospect, probably a year early for him. And then he went to, you know, a team in Wisconsin that was pretty dysfunctional in terms of, you know, the product on the ice and how things transpired. So I think that certainly didn't help his cause in that respect. So, you know, I think his output was obviously far less than people had projected. And I think things he would have been probably looked a little bit differently if he had say played a year in the USHL for a team there. Uh, However, it's all about projecting forward. And I thought he, you know, he played relatively well at the U twenties you know, given a specific role and the coaching staff was really happy with his play there. Um, thoughts overall of Charlie Strammel going to Minnesota. Well, I think Strammel's one of those cautionary tales about a player rushing the college, college situation. I, it's, you know, it's very difficult to be a first year eligible player and play well in college hockey. Like you gotta be pretty special. Like Adam Cantilli is a very good example of a pretty special talent um, that where it made sense. Uh, in Strammel's case, he was physically ready. Right? And I'm sure that was part of the thought process that went into him uh, um, deciding to go the college route so early. Uh, but in terms of, of, as you mentioned, the team, you know, Wisconsin, a bit of a mess. Let's just call it as it is. And it's one of those situations where um, when you look at when you look at his style of play, I, I if you take him 23rd overall or was it 21st overall, I believe, Minnesota took him. Yes. It, 21st. It's 21st. So so unquestionably that means Minnesota thinks he's a center, right? And when you look at his play off the puck and you look at his anticipation and his physical attributes, it does scream that he can be a a shutdown center. The real question mark is the ceiling, right? Obviously Minnesota thinks there's a lot more there, right? And, and that could be very well the case when you factor in that he was, again, I think uh, 
tried to develop in college a little too quickly. What would he really look like in the USHL? He does flash uh, excellent hands at times for a big man, right? The much smaller looking hands on a bigger player uh, at times. And when he's when he's playing up to his ability, he understands how to find soft ice. He knows how to use his body to get in those uh, the high danger areas, get net front and score score important goals. You saw you saw the U twenties, right? World yeah. Juniors. That's where you saw much more of like how he's going to have to operate um, to be become a, a functional two hundred foot center. But right now, I think he projects based off of what he what he did in college, projects more to be a, a third line shutdown center. I think that's probably the 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 best case scenario. The the thing with Strammel. And so what's interesting to me about with Minnesota is that you you could make an argument his floor is pretty high. You could make that argument. I'm wondering if they really thought that there was too much risk with some of these other players within that range. And I talked about that going into this draft. This draft uh, yeah. is a lot more risk than people present. So I wonder if that's after, why Minnesota was right after 22 for the draft. Yeah. yeah, I think once you hit after 22, that risk started to increase. And uh, I'm interested to see whether, and we'll get to another uh, another player right after this comment. I wonder if Strammel's a player who plays three years in college because he got in early, or than ever, and then his peer group. So does he get this? Does he go and stay two years, similar to what a lot of his his peer group will do? That gives him three years in college because there's no reason for Minnesota to need him in another year. They don't need him. They don't need him to come up in the American League because that's where he would go. So, you know, he might be better off just to play two more years in college, then come up into the American League and see where he goes. Uh, let's talk about as well, uh, second round pick, 53rd overall in Rasmus Kupalainen. Thoughts on him? Another big bodied centerman, 6'3", and close to 200 pounds. Yeah, Kempelainen, unlike Strammel, who projects to be a center, Kempelainen doesn't. Long term, when you look at his open ice skating, he's he's much more Probably to the winner. Yeah, to the left wing. Um, he's one of those situations where very good puck protection skill set, soft hands, really good at handling the puck and tight to his frame, uh, coordinated, good edge work. So the, the edges are already there. He can spin off pressure. He can be actually much more elusive than you would imagine for his size. It's just the open ice skating that's really the, the hindrance there That when, you, when it comes to his projection. He's not going to be too dangerous in transition. He's much more dangerous when uh, already established in zone, when you're talking yeah. about the cycle game, when you're talking about in tight give-and-go sequences to the net. That's where Campolainen shines. <laughs> Uh, when you look at him, he's much more of a primary playmaker than a shooter. Uh, very intelligent player. One thing that, that you, you, is true with Strammel and Campolainen is when you look at their off-puck awareness, it's high-end. The anticipate play very well seems to be one of the themes that, that Minnesota was looking for, is players that can really anticipate play. Um, he's uh, he's one of those players that I think projects to be more of a, a depth a depth third, forward. Third line left winger. Yeah, yeah, more of a hybrid depth forward. And what I mean yeah. by ha- hybrid, we've mentioned it many times on the show, but just in case if you're new to the show, is that it, it means that he's not a power forward, but he's a he's a forward that has power elements at times. He flashes a power game occasionally. That and that's kind of what Campolina, I believe, can can be turned into over time. Uh interesting pick. Yeah, I, I'm intrigued by it and you know, you sort of look at, you know, where does he fit inside of that lineup, third line left winger or lower? But I think, you know, I think that's fair. And a guy who can really bang and crash a little bit in terms of not thundering hits, but really that wearing you down along the boards, wearing defenders down, wearing forwards down in the offensive zone, because he's he's good puck possession, as you mentioned. And that's going to, 
you know, you look in the playoffs, how all those big bodies just wear people down constantly in that respect. Where That's where I think you can sort of fill that role. Uh, let's talk about as well, uh, a late second round pick in Riley Height at 64th overall for Minnesota. Uh, thoughts on him? I thought he might go a little bit higher, but once you get into the second round, a player could go 20 spots different than what you thought, and all you do is shrug your shoulders because it's not significant. Once you get down to a certain point in the draft, it doesn't really matter in that respect, from my perspective, in terms of value. I'll be honest. I thought this draft, you know, I was waiting for the Wild West to draft. So I really felt this was the one. No, no trades in the first round. Which is great. I did love that. Yeah. (laughs) It made your life easier. But uh, it was one of those drafts where I feel like, um, I feel like it was all all over the map, which was exciting. You know, you really didn't know who who was going to go where. There were some players I thought would go 50, 60 spots higher or lower. And that made it more interesting. It was fun, fun draft. Um, With Riley Height, uh, he fits into that sporadic description I just mentioned of some one of the most polarizing players in this class. Uh, some player, some people had a lot of time for Riley Height. Extremely talented player, uh, did really well in Prince George's season. He's a natural dual threat. Uh, one of those situations where he's not very big. His pace of play needs to go up a notch. His competitive nature in general needs to go up another notch. Uh, he can get drowned out at times. And uh, not a great skater for for his size. Uh, you're going to read sometimes some in some places online, dynamic skater, really fat. He's not that. He's he's an average skater relative to his size for my money. I think that's one of the reasons he dropped. Uh, you know, it's it's very interesting. One of the players for me most interesting to see in terms of his development. He's going to either boom or bust, right? This is no. This is not going to be some sort of functional third line player like Rasmus Kampelainen or Charlie Trammell can turn into. This is a boom or bust pick. Uh, and look at the selection process there. Minnesota takes what could be an extremely safe pick at 23 or t- 21, and then Rasmus Kampelainen, very intelligent player. As long as he gets his open ice skating figured out. He- very likely to play some games. And then that's when you go for that boomer bust selection. That's what he did with, uh, with height. Yeah. And the, uh, one of the advantages and talked about his development, he's going to play two more years with Prince George and in, in the Western hockey league, then he turns pro. So he's going to have four years uh, plus a brief 22 games in his first year, four full years in the Western hockey league before he has to turn pro. So he has time. He's got two years to make that skating better before he has to go to the American Hockey League. So there's a nice advantage there. And then he's in the American League for probably two more years. Then you pretty much, then you have an idea of really what you have there um, for that. So there's really, it's a four-year cycle before you have to sit down and start to make decisions of what you have. And I think that's really fascinating from that standpoint. This is where, you know, the player development path and that discussion uh, comes up a lot when you get into these discussions about players, not just about assessment. It's about what's going to happen after Uh, Brad and I are going to take a short break. Stay tuned. We'll talk about the St. Louis blues right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown on their own, they're essential, but all together they're undeniable. Introducing huddle instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. 
The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio and our 2023 NHL Draft Review of the Central Division, brought to you by Fractal Hockey Consulting. Through an integrated series of best business practices, they design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Brad and I are going to talk about the St. Louis Blues, who I thought had a great draft, and I know people will you be yelling at the radio saying, oh, but they had three first-round picks. That always doesn't play out, particularly if those two picks are late in the third. So let's look at, like, well, the notorious draft of the Boston Bruins, and they had 13, 14, 15, where that didn't work out uh, what the way they wanted to. But then let's look even look at back at Calgary, when they had three first-round picks, and two of the late picks were Morgan Klimchuk and Emile Poirier, and that didn't work out. You had two smaller skilled wingers that weren't the best skaters and they just had a hard time adapting to the NHL in St. Louis's standpoint, you know, Dalvor, Dvorsky, Otto Stenberg, Theo Lindstein, all three of these players, and we'll talk about them have really high floors. So, and they have specific roles in teams and all their skating is good. I mean, Dvorsky, there's a couple of things you want like to improve upon, but I'm not concerned about it. So let's, let's start with uh, Dalvor, Dvorsky at number 10 for you. Well, as you, as you mentioned, we'll, we'll talk about the center versus wing debate. He's going to have to get more agile, I think, to be the the 200-foot center that you project at the NHL level, I'm sure. Uh, you know, this is not so dissimilar to a situation that Jake Neighbors faced. Sure. When they drafted Jake Neighbors, he was not very agile. He was a bigger kid who needed to fill in, grow into his frame, and uh, they successfully developed him. So I'm sure they're, they're thinking exactly the same thing with Dvorsky. Sure. Um, when you when you look at the theme of St. Louis's draft, it's what you usually – it's what we call what we say here a typical St. Louis, and that is not a knock. That's a compliment. 100%. What that means is they, they look for very driven, high-energy players that are incredibly competitive. So you go right through Quinton Birds, Yorish Bukarczyk, um, uh, Dalibor Dvorsky. Now, Lindstein, I make you make an argument that Lindstein – 
uh, is the one that's maybe the least pace driven right now, but he's the most calculated. And yes. there's always a give and take there. So very, yeah. very, impre- very intelligent player, very cerebral player. So he relies more on that intelligence than he does just on that that sheer determination where Yorish Pekarczyk and Quinton Burns do rely on it. Um, that said, though, it, it, to your point, you talked about how they had a mix there. All very high floor players. Dvorsky is a very high floor player. Uh, I wish he was slightly more creative. I wish that he didn't work and operate in a vacuum as often as I had seen him work this season. But when you look at in terms of his high-end skill, his competitive nature, his 200-foot game, his shot quality, his technical playmaking abilities, handling speed, it's all there. Right? Yeah. Very impressive player in his own right. Capped off an excellent season the U18s. Um, he also was one of the only players that played up in the offense in the whole season where I mean, he, was a, he was a bit up and down, but that's not that's not unexpected. That, that's tough. Like, He's a young kid. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So, when you look at Otto Stenberg, Otto Stenberg, very different player than Dvorsky. So Stenberg's uh, not nearly as heavy, heavily built in terms of how you project him at 23, 24. He's going to be much more slippery, evasive. He relies much more on his edge work. Where Dvorsky lacks agility, Stenberg has it. And so the, his game is all about being able to manipulate defensemen using his edge work, understanding how to slow down the play, using speed differentials, and opening up his options. Um, I was very impressed and, with this player. And he does that defensively season. as well, which I yes, really appreciate. Yeah, yeah which makes yeah, him that yeah, yeah, yeah. Ultimate, He's a third line, player. ultimate third line center for you in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's... he's the, the, all these players are 200 foot players. They're very functional. Yoris Pekarczyk also is 200 foot player. He tries. He he's, doesn't know exactly how to defend yet, but he sure tries to defend. Um, another thing that's interesting about Yoris Pekarczyk, uh, and it goes into the divorce category, though much more, there's much more limitation here. Pekarczyk, I really think, can play as a power forward and a depth throw and be a very useful playoff player. It's just his skating needs to come miles relative to where it's forced because Pekarczyk's not a good, not a good skater. It's not very functional right now. So it's going to be all about St. Louis's uh, development staff get, getting him going in the right direction so that he can he can actually take advantage of what he is. And that's a, that's a very high octane power play making forward. And I love that type of player. Here's Pekarczyk for me was one of those awesome dark horse selections where I'm very interested to see uh, how he, how he develops in the coming years. It's interesting. We talk about Stenberg in that, in that respect. I just, I like his intelligence in terms of it's one of those, he's one of those players that, other centermen and you know other players he has to defend are going to be really irritated by him similar to the the comments that Rick Nash gave us about the guy who just gets in the way he's always in the right position sticks always in the way and he doesn't give you a lot of time and space or at all and in the playoffs it's about restricting time and space and I think it's one of the things that even at a young age like I noticed from Otto Stenberg is defensively off the puck he's very good about being in that hip pocket constantly and he doesn't waver far from that he doesn't like get caught up in a play watching a play where he understands how the play is developing and where he needs to be relative to his check and i thought that was really like that impressed me as a young player because you know, defensive habits for young players are usually pretty inconsistent well the, the big thing with stenberg and so st louis usually drafts large and they usually yeah. draft Hybrid players are power forwards, players who are mean. So Stenberg isn't that. What Stenberg is, though, is fearless. Yeah. Stenberg's fearless. That's he reminds he, me of Michael Backlund out of Calgary. That's what yeah, he reminds yeah, that's, me of. That's a pretty good comp, actually. Uh, yeah. yeah, there was some Backlund in him. Um, he's he's a very – one thing I love about Otto Stenberg, he doesn't project to be a top-line player or anything, or at least I think, but, but 
you're going to get, he's going to maximize what he is. He's a takeover machine mentally. He instinctively yeah. wants to be the guy. He doesn't have the offensive capabilities or toolkit to project to be like, you know, one of the top, top end players. But in terms he's of like, he's a clutch performer. He finds ways to, to get points when it that. matters. He could be a clutch performer, middle six option that the Swiss army knife, you put him anywhere in a lineup and uh, he, he wants to be a difference maker. And that's, that was really stood out to me at the U18s. When, when I got to watch him live there in Switzerland, I was very, very impressed with his takeover mentality and his fearlessness. Let's talk about Lindstein as a defenseman. And to me, like, I, I know some people didn't have him in the first round. I had him 29 and he went 29. I just thought for him is this, the floor was so high for him. And he's an intel, such a highly intelligent player that he's a guy that you could end up being a four. Um, that's where I would project me as a D four, but a linchpin D four guy kills penalties for you. You can throw out to eat a lot of minutes. He's just going to take away time and space. He's intelligent about his puck movement. He's diligent in his defensive uh, zone in terms of really good habits for a, another guy with good habits, him and Stenberg. That's one of the things I liked about him off puck, good habits. So he's a guy that I think is just so dependable. Things are getting chaotic. Like you throw Lindstein over the boards and go, all right, let's like settle things down, people. Let's get a couple good shifts in, get the D out there for a minute, but almost a minute and a half. And then you, and you put him out there with a couple, get a couple good forward shifts. And th then he settles things down and then you can almost like get things back to go, going again. He's a guy who just seems to will get your game for your whole team, all five of you on the ice back on track. Yeah, he's a very, very calculated defender. Uh, you know, he's, he's vanilla. He's vanilla, and that's okay. When they're a defenseman, sure. Hellison, Drew Hellison's vanilla. I loved him. <laughs> it was one of those situations where you don't you don't need every every defenseman to be this dynamic uh, prodigy who's just and like, trying to join the rush. Twenty. Yeah. Good seven. luck with that. So, right. Yeah. They, they, you need you need um, what you see in the NHL is first of all you're seeing usually typically a larger back end. Um, the the only team in the top four that had even more than one six foot or under defense was Florida. And they had, they had four at the time and uh, two of them were Radko Gudis and Brandon Montour and tell me how tenacious they are. Right. So right. Uh, one of those situations where teams want a big back end, but they also want diversity in that back end. You don't want every player to be the same. Right. Yeah. So what Theo Lindstein brings to the table is a very, very impressive modern game. He's a very good puck mover. The majority of his points are going to come through primary assist rates uh, being, being from his stretch playmaking and being from his one touch processing very, very quick to calculate the open uh, man in transition. So a lot of his, a lot of his game is predicated off his exits and his stretch playmaking. Uh, the only, the only thing I'll say about the, the number four is if he gets to a second pairing, it's because he continued to develop his, his overall pacing and his ability to absorb a rush better than he currently does. There, he's he falls in the Axon Sandin Pelicatory, not the Mikhail Gulyev territory of of how he's willing to absorb contact. He does not he just the, the reason we bring up the, the absorption rates and how players do it is because uh, you know, we, we have Pat Malloy on our program a lot, and he talks about this, and it's very, very critical component of scouting uh, for defensemen, which is you want to see how they initiate contact so they can come out of that contact. It's the fallout from that contact and where they are yeah. relative to the, the player. So, for instance, when you look at Pelica, he can stick press a player, turn that player around, and then systematically scan the ice what's in front of him so he knows where he has to go and anticipate the play. That's how Pelica operates with his, in his nature. When you look at Lindstein, he's similar to that. Right. So that, that's how they do things a little differently than simply just take or erase players out from along the boards. And there's some give and take. You want both. Right. You want both types of defensemen. Again, it goes back to, to needing a mix. 
Hundred uh, percent. We're going to take a short break on hockey prospect. Ray, we come back. We're going to talk about the Dallas Stars draft right after these important messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown on their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with Sports Code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio and our 2023 NHL Draft Review of the Central Division brought to you by Fractal Hockey Consulting. Through an integrated series of best business practices, they design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. We are now going to chat about the Dallas Stars draft. Uh, They did not have a first round pick because it was traded away. So their first pick was Tristan Bertucci, a uh, lanky defenseman, hasn't quite filled out. Uh, You know, Flint, Firebirds, still 17. Doxy doesn't turn 18 until July. Uh, And he was drafted as well. I'm looking at it, it was 61. Yeah, 61 in that respect. So thoughts on him um, at the draft. What do you think about his overall game and what you sort of project him to be moving forward? I'll start off by saying he's, he's got to get on the same diet I'm on, and that's the ice cream diet. He's got to start losing <laughs> some weight. He's got, he's got a long way well, to go. Well, the right way, buddy. Very, very 
the right way. <laughs> well, it depends who you ask for. For some people, it's considered the right way. Um, he's he's physically very underdeveloped, very raw player, very very raw. Uh, what happened in the OHL with him in Flint system is he would actually you know get in front of the play, he would read the the, the rush correctly, and then he would attempt to close down and squeeze off a player, and then just get obliterated because he just functionally doesn't have the strength yet. Right, static strength isn't there, power isn't there, and uh, he would get erased as a result of that from time to time. So. Um, the good news is the instincts are there. So I'm sure what Dallas is betting on is if he can fill out the frame, well, he actually has pretty good defensive instincts. Then you look at what he actually can do when he's playing up to his ability. He looks like a pretty good 200 foot player. It's just yeah. inconsistent. So And he's very young. No, yeah, yeah. One of the younger defensemen in his class. Um, he's he's one of those players where when you look at how he operates around a net area, that's usually a tell of how smart a defender is. He's very good at using his net as a decoy, using it almost as a, a pick and roll option, like a third player is a pick and roll option. He knows how to use hesitation feints before he exits and, and, and uses that outlet. Uh, he's, he's a good transporter. Um, if everything goes really right, he might become a functional power play two option. But it, it would, everything would have to go right, right, for that that type of projection. Um, Dallas is totally unafraid. This is a theme of them in the last couple seasons. They are totally unafraid of taking raw defensemen out of the O with upside. And that's exactly what Bertucci is. So they they feel very comfortable uh, developing and molding this player type. Yeah, and it's interesting. Well, it's also they know they're going to have time. Like this is a guy who's going to play two more years in the, in the O, and then probably two years in the American League. And then you're kind of gonna then you're gonna know what you really have by year five. Draft plus five, you'll have an idea of really what you have. So I'm curious to see how his next two years go. And then as he jumps into the American League, and we will monitor that progress. Uh, as well, next down the list in the third round at 79th overall, they took Brad Gardner. And so out of the Ottawa 67s, thoughts on him, uh six foot one, hundred and eighty-five pound right shot centerman. Yeah, so unlike Bertucci, who who needs a lot of time to fill out, Brad Gardner is already physically very developed. Uh, he's a 200-foot center, um, very similar to Charlie Strammel in some ways, actually, in terms of just the re- reads off the puck. Very, right. very good at anticipating the play, knows how to close down in arcs, knows how to mitigate risk, knows how to become the third defenseman, knows how to support his defense, knows how to become that exit quickly for his defense, knows how to become that option. So when you look at Brad Gardner, there there is the moldings, the makings of a uh, third line center that can really shut down other teams' top lines. And I think I'm, I, I'd be willing to bet that that's part of the reason that Dallas probably we drafted him. One of the things that's interesting about uh, Brad Garner is that he, he's a very intelligent player and he can mentally map the, the, the ice when he's off the puck. When he's actually in transition with the puck, that's where some of his mental mapping and his playmaking breaks down a bit. He's much more of a primary shooter at this stage. So he gets inside, uses his frame, uses his ability to understand soft, where, to, where to position himself in soft ice with his spatial awareness. And then he, he you know, uses his shot and shot quality. That's the primary way that Brad Garner generates. So if, if he can get another level within his playmaking ability and just continue to grow his skating base, which is a little heavy right now, he's a bit of a heavy, heavy stride, then I think that he has a chance to be a, a depth center and, and that could be a very useful player for Dallas down the road. Right. I, I'm glad you brought up those, those two comments because I think that's going to separate him from playing in the American League for a career and then coming up and being a fourth line center. And, you know, Maybe some of our listeners, you know, for for them is in the late third round, if you can get yourself a fourth line center who can play games in the NHL, that's a really good draft pick because he's a fourth line center in the NHL. I know sometimes, the, you know, people get caught up in this whole replacement player 
you know, uh, and what that really means. And I think sometimes it it's more valued than people realize is if you play in the NHL, that's a valued asset. Right. And like everybody's trying to go for the home run hits. And sometimes in the draft, you just need to get NHL players. You just need to get them to play in the NHL from that standpoint. Let's talk about another guy who we had conversations with, you know, with you and also with, you know, Jason Bukla and Aaron Minatian, defenseman, right handed shot, 5'11, 195 pounds. Like, so he's he's a pretty thick kid. He's going to Boston College next year after a couple of years in the program. Thoughts on him? And where they took him, because that was a later round pick. It's like fourth round, 125th overall. And that's when you start getting into the range where, you know, fourth to seventh rounds, only 15 players will play 200 games. And is Aram one of those guys? Because he's a high floor, like low risk type of defenseman. Well, I'll be honest. I disagree with you on that front. I, you look at his curve. His curve was was in the right direction, and, and that helped shave down his risks to a degree. But uh, the, the big thing with Manidian is you look at his uh, edge work and agility. That's the standout trait. And what that means is that he can be dynamic at the line when it comes to erasing the first layer. Very good at breaking down the first layer in the offensive zone. The problem is his decision-making after that can break down. Um, and I'll extend his decision-making. That's where the risk does present. Not the we just talked about Theo Lindstein, the very clean stretch playmaker, very clean on his exits. Um, when you look at it from Tristan Pertucci, even Aaron Manedian is behind them in terms of the exits and the overall clean, clean element of his game. So he yeah. overly relies on his. On That's his why I find he doesn't, he has to recognize that the, his first option is 90% of the time, the best option. Like just take your first option. It's, there for you. It's, it, he needs to know when to simplify his game and when to be. And dynamic. that's pretty much and, almost and that's all, a learning that's pretty much 90% of the time is simplify it, right? There's very few times where that second, third option, particularly the third option is going to be available, you know, as he progresses. So 90% of the time, just take it. And I think sometimes that he, you can get into those habits in the program that we talked about is defensemen, because you have all this skill up front, they're all breaking out. And it's like you see all these options in front of you. It's like st- like going to the carnival and all the bright lights. And you're almost mesmerized by that where, you know, recognizing, you know, as you progress, that first option is going to be his best option. And I think once that habit clicks in for him when he's in college, I think it just makes him a far more effective player. And he's going to be less risk attached to his puck movement. Yeah, when you when you look at the back half of this class, he's one of the few defensemen that actually offers a, dy- a dynamic element at times. Yeah. There is some dynamic offensive qualities to him. It's just the consistency rates of them. And then when you try to project the rest of his game, can he can he just functionally retrieve and exit at the race necessary to hold so that he can take advantage of his offensive ability? No, and that's fair. And this is where we start. You know, we get into honestly into the third round. Uh, you know, you look at the historical averages. 12 players out of the third round will play 200 games. 15 will play from the fourth to the seventh. So you're looking at five rounds of five rounds of players and you got a whopping 27 players on average are going to play. So that's really challenging to try to figure out which ones are going to play. And for me, it's all about, you know, a large part of that trying to mitigate that risk and trying to figure out who's going to make it is who has the longer development path. Sometimes, sometimes that just makes up for it is those extra two years before having been thrown to the wolves in the American hockey league. Cause it's such a great league. And I think sometimes it gets totally understated because nobody sees it on TV, which is a shame. And no one really talks about it except for Patrick Williams. Thank God for him. 
But I think, you know, if that was more of an understanding, then, you know, maybe players and, you know, the media and us and other people would recognize that, you know, the longer the a player stays out of the American Hockey League, the better for them, just because it's just so hard to play there. And it's so hard, it's hard to develop there. You really need time in college and junior and, and in Europe to make up for that from that standpoint. Uh, Brad and I are going to take a short break. We come back into hour two. We'll continue talking about the Central Division. So we'll break down the Nashville Predators, the Winnipeg Jets, the Chicago Blackhawks, and the Arizona Coyotes right after these important messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is our two of our 2023 NHL draft review for the Central Division and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. We're now going to chat about the Nashville Predators draft. Uh, at first round, 15th overall, is Matthew Wood. Thoughts on him? And I know we, we had mentioned him about him in our one about jumping into the NCAA a little bit earlier than his peer group and, you know, jumping in as a peer freshman, uh, obviously with University of Connecticut, which, you know, at the end of the day, productive, 
Sure, it was good, but there was a lot of bumps in the road prior to Christmas uh, in that respect. And I think, you know, his U18 performance certainly helped that. And it's an opportunity for for Nashville to keep him in college hockey for two years. So he's going to have that benefit of playing in college hockey probably for three years because they don't need to bring him out after next year. They don't need to. So thoughts on him in that draft, in that spot, and then overall as a player, because I think I had him in that range. So it wasn't a surprise that he went there. Yeah, there, were, there were two power fours in this draft that needed a lot of projection. It was Daniil Butte, who was already taken, and Matthew Wood. Um, when you look at Matthew Wood's skill set, what I found very interesting, I was, I was wondering if he would go before Barlow. Uh, and he did. And I'm willing to bet one of the reasons why is because Nashville thinks that Matthew Wood is a natural dual threat and Colby Barlow is much more of a primary shooter. Right. Um, and that, that's what makes Matthew Wood a very unique player is that he's a very gifted playmaker when he's, when he's on his game. You know, there, there was times – especially early in his development this season in the college level where, uh, you know, he's coming from the BCHL. So he didn't know how to mitigate his own risk, meaning he he would make errant passes that were towards the middle. And then he wouldn't have the base to recover because his skating is his weakness. Right. So one of those situations where over the course of the season, you looked for him to clean up his playmaking game so that he wouldn't have to be reliant on his recovery rate since he has very limited recovery. And that's what happened. So that's that's a big checkbox for him. I felt like he really cleaned that up at the end of the season. The other aspect of Wood, he's not finished developing in terms of his coordination, which means there's a totally another level to his shot that we haven't seen yet. And that's exciting because it's already pretty lethal. So it's one of those situations where there's a wide range of outcomes. The spectrum's large within his shooting range right now. But once he continues to grow into his frame and fill out, I think there's a very good chance he becomes one of the most gifted dual threats in this entire class. For Nashville, the big thing will be just getting that skating base to the league average, whatever it takes to get that skating base to league average. But I'll say this, by the U18s, the end of the season, it, it did get better. It did, yeah. it did get much more functionally improved, and it had to, because going into the season, there was two players that were talked about as basically the two worst skaters relative to their talent level, uh, and that's Cohen Zemer, and the other is Matthew Wood. Matthew Wood, I think, is uh, is is better is a better skater, more functional skater than Cohen Zimmer. I think that's one of the main reasons Zimmer actually dropped to LA in the third round. Um, the other factor is when you, when you look at um, Wood's projection, it, it's as you said, he he's in college. That's a great place for him. He needs more time to develop, more time to cook. And so I really like the development path uh, uh, for Wood at this time. 100%. If you play two more years before he has to go to the American League, that's going to give him that time to be, you know, NHL average because – NHL average and AHL average are about the same, right? It's really what separates them is in the, in the AHL is not necessarily skating. Um, you know, there is some work that gets done in the American League, but, you know, for the most part, that's not the separating factor uh, from that standpoint. Let's talk about Tanner Molenduk, who was taking, uh, taking 24th overall. Now, there is the difference between skating ability from Wood. and <laughs> If you could give Wood Tanner skating ability – Holy smokes, he probably would have been drafted in like the top five. Um, so let's talk about uh Tanner Molenduk as a defenseman and what you you know project his game to be. You know, obviously the skating's there. He's a five foot eleven defenseman, about 180 pounds. Um, you know, had a, a little bit of a clunky beginning of the beginning of the season, but really started to bring it on in that second half. And we talk about that. Defensemen tend to late hard charge, uh, particularly after Christmas. So thoughts on him overall. 
Well, I'll start by saying a lot of people keep requesting for us to talk about draft strategy more. They, they love it. People have come to me talking about how they much they enjoy the idea of that because it's not talked about publicly too often. Right. Um, so one thing I'll say about draft strategy with Nashville is usually, typically, and, and you've seen it with, with the other teams we've talked about already, is usually you take your safety net first. You take the very high four player first, then you start looking at risk towards that second round. Nashville didn't have to do that because of how many picks they had. So yeah. Matthew Wood, not a high floor relative to some of these other kids. It's the ceiling. But the reason they took him so early uh, and then immediately continued to go after some high ceiling players is because of how many picks they had, right? The amount of accumulation Nashville had allowed them to make uh, uh, some picks that would be considered a little more risky. Yeah. Um, Tanner Wallendike, to your point, as you said, brilliant skater. That's, that is the hallmark of his game. And uh, he had to figure out exactly how to how to operate and function. Usually what happens with defensemen is when they're as gifted as he is with his skating base, it gives them more options. Uh, but sometimes there's too many options, and, and it's up to them to try to limit themselves to a degree that's necessary to become uh, more streamlined and, and functional as the season progresses. So uh, I'll say this about Tanner, Tanner Molendike, because I think he's just scratching the surface of his potential. When you look at what he could potentially turn into offensively, there's a lot more there. It's just much – I know this sounds kind of a, a strange comparison, but – it's, they are honestly somewhat similar to me in terms of how they operate. It's Owen Pickering. Owen Pickering is way bigger than Tanner Mullendike, but in terms of lateral cutbacks, exaggerated pivoting right. fakes, side steps, that, that agility they use, the, the deception they incorporate in the first phase of their offense when they're trying to break down the line, it's similar. It's also similar to the fact that they don't always know how to find that high danger lateral pass and time it correctly, and that's why their offensive rates don't match up with the visual indicator of what they could become at this time or the, right. within the drafts. I'm, I'm glad you brought right. that up because that's what ends up happening is he, he can use his speed because everybody knows he's fast to draw defenders. And it's that, that point you have to recognize where that first option is at that point and to get that puck and then force them to counter all those def- defenders, those two or three defenders that are like, making it, keeping an eye on him, then they got to counter. And that player has to recognize the minute they counter, you got to put it in the other direction to make them counter again. Because every time you do that stop start as defender and you're changing your, your weight, it just opens up time and space. So that's what Tanner could really do is draw defenders in because of his skating ability. Because if you leave him an open space and you let him free flow skating, like you're just asking for trouble. 100%. 100%. The other factor with Tanner Mollendike is when you project him relative to Theo Lindstein, Mikhail Guliev, Oliver Blanc, these secondary defensemen that were drafted in the back half of the first and the second round. Uh, the big difference for me is Tanner Mollendike projects to be the best rush absorber, the best shutdown defenseman of all of them, and just because of the skating ability yeah, and the tenacity. Get- yeah. He's a very tenacious, high-energy, high-octane player. The biggest difference between Lindstein and Bonk relative to him is that is that um, they're much more cerebral, much more calculated. They, they Mollendike, the way he operates is with just a ton of energy and a ton of heart. There's a lot of passion displayed within his game, which, perfectly honest, I prefer that defensively. I'm I'm a huge believer in pacing and seeing pacing uh, at, at another level in their draft season. I don't want to have to wait for it. It makes me uncomfortable, um, which is why I, I projected the Olinstein a little more safely as a, as bottom pairing, but absolutely could become that four if, if things go right. Um, and with Mullendike, I feel 
I feel honestly like he has he's the one of the of the three between Bonkelinstein and him, the one with the highest rate of defensive upside long term when you project them. So that's another factor when you when you look at the raw offensive base, but then you take that into consideration with the the tenacity and skating qualities. It really leads to a very interesting 200 foot player down the road. And I know there's not a lot of these in the NHL, which is some of the one of the reasons people some of the risk yeah. back and forth. Yeah. It, however, look at. Um, Oh, now I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, uh, Islanders uh, acquired him from Montreal, the defenseman, six feet tall, 200 pounds. He's Russian. Romanov, Romanov. thank you. So there's some Romanov in this kid. There's some Mario Ferraro would be another example of a player that projects to be like him. My point is, yes, they're rare in the NHL, but they exist. It's not that it's some sort of unicorn, unknown player type. He does exist. It's just rare. Yeah. Let's talk about Felix Nielsen. So that was a second round pick 43rd overall by Nashville center left wing, uh, you know, six foot 187 pounds thoughts on him. Cause um, we had conversations about him specifically and I, I'm intrigued to get your thoughts. Cause he split between that J 20 and then got some games in SHL as well for Rogola um, thoughts on him overall. He's a very intelligent player. He's a primary playmaker. He's too finesse oriented for my liking. That's the one drawback for this player is he doesn't know how to function and use his playmaking. Okay, this is how he operates. He knows how to functionally offset defense using his playmaking, switching up his options. He's very good at slowing down and using tempo control to readjust his lanes. What he's not so gifted at is recognizing when he needs to turn on the afterjets and cut and make direct cuts to the net at the consistent rates you want. He doesn't know how to protect a puck with his frame yet. His open ice handling has been mixed. Uh, I have a pretty large sample of him, so I'm pretty comfortable saying that. Um, he's not a good he's not a good shooter off the rush. Transitional shooting upside is limited, so he needs to be he needs to be able to functionally take or fully take advantage of his primary playmaking playmaking ability. It will be much easier for him to do that if he can turn into a hybrid player. So it's all about getting comfortable physically and molding his game so that he can operate in small ice when he comes over to North America and function like he does in transition with his playmaking around the net area at a higher rate. That, that's what I'd say. But very interesting player, very intelligent player. Yeah, that's why I think he's four years out coming to North America. I think he just he needs that time to develop that. Otherwise you put him in a situation where the risk is too high, put him into the American league as a 21 year old. I think he needs to come over as a 22 year old uh, from my perspective, Brad, I'm going to take a short break, but uh, hang on. And we're going to talk about the Winnipeg jets draft right after this message. Every play, every stat, every breakdown on their own, they're essential, but all together they're undeniable. Introducing huddle instat a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skilled development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. 
Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at FractalHockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back into segment six of our 2023 NHL Draft Review of the Central Division. We're going to focus on the Winnipeg Jets, brought to you by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. So, Brad... Let's get into their first overall, first pick, 18th overall, Colby Barlow. It's kind of an interesting theme in terms of the type of players that they've been drafting the last couple of years. High character, playoff style players, bigger forwards, and just guys that are going to embrace being a Winnipeg Jet. And I think Colby Barlow fits that. And I even, you know, I even, I even mentioned him talk and he said, how well do you know Riker McGrady? And he goes, how do you, how much do you know about his game? And he just started telling me all about him and how excited he was to be his teammate. Cause he thought they could be just basically two peas in a pod. Yeah. You know, this is a very stereotypical Jets pick, meaning yeah. uh, we felt Barlow felt to him. You know, Kyle Connor, we felt the same way. Mark Edwards was the biggest fan of Kyle Connor you ever meet. They, he fell to him. And uh, here we are again. We feel that, uh, that we loved Rucker as well. So we, we felt Rucker fell a little bit to, to Winnipeg as well. Uh, not not as much as Barlow did, though. We had Barlow top top uh, six. So we obviously think this is one of the best picks in the draft. Um, now, th- that said, hey, listen, I'm human. I've been very wrong. I, I remember saying uh, Vegas, I thought Vegas stole a draft when they got Peyton Krebs. Uh, I believe it was 18 or 19. and Injuries and brought in early. It yeah, hasn't, hasn't developed uh, at the rates I was hoping for. So I, I'm human. I've been wrong. But um, Colby Barlow looks like he has everything you want in, in a cap. Yeah, he's already a leader. He's he's already uh, that power forward prototype that every team covets. He's a phenomenal shooter. Uh, I really think his skating has come a long way. I know the skating was the big concern in, in the first half of the season. I really think that the way he gets off the center line and his agility is improved. Uh, I really think he's much more of a functional 200 foot player as a result of that. Now, you know, we just talked about earlier with Otto Stenberg being so agile, it gives him an opportunity to really hold at the line and have block rates as a result of that. Don't be shocked if Colby Barlow actually really surprises in that, in that regard. He's a, he's, he's a bigger kid, uh, very good stick instincts. I think he's actually going to be an incredibly good 200 foot player. Uh, when you look at his upside, uh, I do. I did say that Matthew Woods, the natural dual threat, where Colby Barlow isn't. But make no mistake, that Colby Barlow is an intelligent player who can pass a puck. 
It's just not what the hallmark of his game is. The hallmark of his game is his shot quality and his coordination within his wheelhouse. He's an incredibly dangerous power play option. He's going to be lethal from the circles. He's a player that's going to drain opposing defensemen. He's forcing weighted minutes come playoff time. We, we talked about it uh, with Jason to the lead up of the draft. You're looking for players primarily that can either get you into the playoffs or be exceptional in the playoffs. He's both. Yeah. He's that extremely rare player that gives you everything. He's been, the, for my money, one of the most consistent players this entire season. Yeah. And that's saying something. There, you know, There's a whole lot of inconsistent players in this class. Up and down. And he isn't one of them. Yeah. He wasn't one of them. Yeah. It's, I mean, he's a 60-goal scorer of his own program. Hundred percent. That's what I like. He's going to play in the Ontario Hockey League for two more years. He's going to be able to round out some aspects of his game. You know, improve his skating. Uh, you know, improve his play playmaking ability. Make him more of a little bit more of a dual threat. Um, obviously, you got to rely on that shot when you can, but you don't want to make yourself predictable in that respect. So I think that really is going to help Kobe Barlow moving forward. Let's talk about Zachary Nearing as well. He was a third round pick, 82nd overall. Thoughts on him? There's another big body kid, 6'3". Hasn't filled out yet, but a right-handed shot. Big body, power forward, very raw mechanically yeah. in some way. So the, the big difference, well, I mean, there's a ton of difference between him and Barlow, so maybe I shouldn't even try to contrast him. So he's, he's a byproduct of Shattuck which is obviously one of the best development systems known, known to man in hockey. So that's going, good. And going um, to Sioux Falls in the USHL. So, Sioux, which is good. Another yeah, which good is very good game. because that's going to be under Tony Gasparini, who was a longtime scout for yeah, the absolutely. LA Kings, understands player development, and he'll make that player better. And then he goes off to Western Michigan after that. Yeah, so I, I think the the development and where, where he's tracking is the right one. Uh, what's interesting about this player, tons of grit, tons of determination, the sandpaper element is there. Uh, he was the trigger man in one through one formation on a power play at Shaddix. He was very successful on the man advantage. Um, the big thing with him is just understanding how to time his plays better than he currently does. There, there for instance, like if he's coming down a rush and he uses an exaggerated postural fake and then does an in-between uh, legs deke and goes back to the outside, he'll mistime that backhand pass across the ice, right? That, so the, the instinct there to exaggerate to go inside and go back outside is correct. And the sense of time in the handling play was correct, but then his end phase where he's trying to set up the pass isn't yet. So my point is give him more time to cook, give him time to figure things out, as you do with almost every power forward, right? Colby Barlow's an exception to the rule, which is why he's a bona fide A-rated prospect. Then then you might have something down the stretch. Uh, pretty pretty interesting player in terms of molding potential, and I'm sure that's one of the reasons when a big draft. Certainly, because they can, you know, he's going to get a year in USHL and three in college hockey. So that's four years. So you're looking at a player at 22, and then he comes into the American League. And then, you know, you know, uh, Jimmy Roy and the rest of the guys get a hold of him and then see what you got in the, after a year in the American League. And that's where you start getting to the draft plus five. But if you can get a player out of that, then it's all worth it. Brad and I are going to take a quick, quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about the Chicago Blackhawks draft right after these quick messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. 
Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hockey Prospect Radio and our 2023 NHL Draft Review of the Central Division. Powered by Outside Edge Player Development for on and off ice training featuring KPI-based conditioning programs at OutsideEdge.ca. We're now going to talk about the Chicago Blackhawks. So let's briefly just chat about Connor Bedard at number one. It's kind of honestly an afterthought. Um, anytime this happens, when you have a bona fide number one, he gets talked about so much that there really isn't much more for us to say because we've talked about him so much on this program over the last year. Yeah, I'll just I'll just briefly say probably the best prospect since Austin Matthews. I, I prefer him in some ways to Matthews because of his energy and takeover mentality. I think it's a different level, even though it's you know not as big. Uh, might might have a bit of difficulty at the beginning here with just the defensive assignments. He's, it might might have to. Limit He's him not the little, fastest guy. Like not the fastest skater. Yeah. Not McDavid speed. Not McKinnon speed. Uh, maybe that's the most unique aspect of him. It's that he's a generational talent, but not built like one in some ways. Don't in terms of his skate, in terms of his like north south skating. Yeah, he's not. Yeah. I wouldn't consider no. him fast. No, he's not the most dynamic skater. For instance, you look at Oliver Moore, Martin Mashiak, Nick Lardis. Uh, Lucas Reichel, right? Those are really, really impressive open ice skaters. Yes. And uh, Bedard fall, falls a little behind them. Um, that said, I mean, unbelievable talent. Uh, maybe the last thing I'll leave on is that expect more production than Jack Hughes at the same age. He's more physically developed than Jack Hughes was. Uh, expect a better better uh, coming out party than Alexei Lafreniere has had. Um, so he should be able to produce right off the hop. But um, it's one of those situations where I really think in year two, year three, when he gets comfortable, that's when you got to look out. He's going to be pretty special. Let's talk about Oliver Moore at 19. And what I like about this selection for Chicago is he provides different elements. He is a complementary player to a Bedard. He brings these different elements that 
Bedard doesn't doesn't necessarily bring. And I think that if you look at it from a roster construction standpoint, long term, and you look at it as defending players, uh, you know, against Chicago, you know, four years from now, I think Oliver Moore is going to be be able to provide different type of value than Bedard will certainly not obviously an offensive output, but in some other areas, I think Oliver Moore is going to be able to be a really valued player. And I thought that was a good pick for them at 19. Yeah. The, the big thing with Oliver Moore is that when you look like we could debate all day, his offensive ceiling, because that's, that really he's a pretty polarizing player when, when it comes right. to that, you, you, you get 10 scouts, you get 10 different answers in terms of offensive ceiling. Um, but what you're, what you're not going to have a difference of opinion on is the ability to uh, be the transitional zone entry machine for a line. So he'll be the neutral neutral driver of play, which is very useful, even if it's a complementary role. And uh, the other aspect to him is he's a very good 200-foot player who brings a ton of energy to a lineup. And yeah. that's very important. Uh, he's one of those players that you, you look at um, – you look at the playoffs this year, you look at the, some of the complementary pieces that were assigned to, to bring that energy and score big goals at key times. I feel like that's something Oliver Moore could be down, uh, down the, the timeline here in four or five years when he, when he's uh, fully developed. Um, the big thing with him is, is he a better playmaker than he showed this season? And I found even though mechanically he's a gifted shooter, he was too reliant on low percentage shooting angles. So it's one of those situations where if he can, clean up some of his decision-making offensively. Maybe there's a lot more there. Right. Um, I've always thought this is more of a third-line complimentary piece, but believe me, the, I'm sure Chicago would, would say otherwise. Maybe they really you know, well, they I probably think, think he's top they, six. They think he's, draft. Yeah, they, they think he's going to project into a second-line center. And I mm-hmm. wonder how much of that was environment that and the line mates he had in the program, and now he's going to obviously go off to University of Minnesota, and he's going to get a couple years there because they don't need him to come out right away. There's no reason for that. Um, I'm here in the American league. So they have time to, for him to be in different environments, different opportunities, round out his skill sets. Like they have time. They don't have to rush him in, in that respect. So give him a couple of years in college, a year in the American league. And I think you have a better idea what you have, but it gives him the time necessary from that standpoint. Uh, I know we got to talk about some goalies here. So let's talk about Adam Gajan. Um, I know, uh, you know, our, our mutual friend, uh, Max Giese was super excited about Gajan being drafted where he was 35th overall second round, uh, thoughts on him. Cause I know he's a, a goalie that you thought very highly of. Yeah. Adam Guyan, uh, arguably the most athletically gifted goalie in this entire class. Uh, what's unique about him. He was the first goalie selected. He's actually older. Um, this is not his first year of eligibility. Yeah. He, he actually came over from Slovakia so that he could stand out. And uh, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't get better than getting to be the starter at the U20 level. If you really want to stand out, yeah. that's the way to do and it. Play, and play, play very, very well. Hockey. Play yeah. phenomenal hockey. Um, one of the more difficult aspects of his projections, he was playing in the NHL the whole season. One of the most important uh, parts of scouting a goalie is you, you have to be able to see how they evaluate the release points of a player. Well, at the NHL level, you're dealing with less talent. So that's the one aspect where I was a little wary. However, we had him as our number two ranked goalie for a reason. Um, it, it, he's a he's a very, very gifted goalie athletically. If he plays, he'll, he'll be one of those star types of goalies because how exciting he is to watch. Very, very, very explosive, uh, not totally refined, and uh, that makes it more fun to watch uh, because he's not as technical. That said, he's going to have to increase his technical, certain technical aspects of his game. Um, I'll, I'll finish quickly just with like Martin Mashiach, Nick Lardis. Um, they bring vi- a ton of north-south speed, just like Oliver Moore. Lardis is a very 
um, very dangerous off the rush. That's his game is based off transition, his transitional rush shooting upside. When you look at Martin Mashayek, he's a power forward. He plays a very heavy north-south game. Uh, he is also a primary shooter. And the most interesting pick for me there, I was a bit surprised by a very unique pick to me, is Roman Kantsarov. Uh, he was right. one of the oldest players in the draft, 5'9". What's interesting about him is when you look at Oliver Moore, Martin Mashayek, Nick Lardis, they all bring a ton of north-south speed. Roman Kantsarov does not. Roman Kantsarov relies more on his edge work. He's not as gifted in open ice, but he's a very dynamic dual threat. Um, good build, too. Thicker thicker build. I remember uh, being incredibly impressed with him out of Stalinist system last year when they played um, Omsk in one of the best playoff series I've seen in ages, and he was a standout in that series. Um, he's one of those players on our, our for us personally at Hockey Prospect where we, we didn't like the skating enough at the beginning of the year. We got back to him too late. We're like, uh, we got to really, we really should should hone in on him. And I'm a little disappointed we did now because he was drafted in the second round. So I'm very excited to, to talk to uh, Donaghy and the staff uh, uh, and Ryan Ellis as well. Ryan Ellis, the, the goalie uh, development coach there in Chicago and goalie scout uh, about Adam Guyan. I know that Ellis looks for athleticism and he just found it in spades. So it'd be very interesting discussions with that. Well, let's actually, let's touch back on Guyan for a second because, you know, obviously, you know, he got six games with Green Bay. Uh, most of it was in, in, in Chippewa. So then he's going to Minnesota Duluth this fall and he's 19. So he's going to get a chance to obviously play for Slovakia in the uh, U20. So there's, again, so there's more experience there. And then three years at Duluth. So you're looking at, that's his 19-year-old year, 20-year-old year, probably 21st year. So he's going to get three years in and then, you know, his 22nd year is going to be his first year in the American hockey league. Do you, I mean, and he's like, I, when I was talking to him, he's really a lanky kid, like super athletic. He, he's an athlete, but he's six three and about 180 pounds. So there's going to be a little bit of fill. It doesn't have to get that much bigger. I'm okay with goalies being six three, one ninety. They don't have to be these monsters, right? Um, from that respect, well, so- that's the prototype is six three. Like that's you, yeah. You, did, you know you you don't need. It, it's funny. You everybody don't- wants these like six five, six six Bahamas. The only way they play is if their transitional butterfly is is above a minimum threshold at NHL level where they can right. collapse in time to deal with uh, in tight in tight uh, short area plays. Yeah, they're it's, all fast not, enough. It, it, exactly. They have to be able to drop and transition big, back in and out of a, a butterfly quickly. Also, I want to apologize. I called Dan Ellis, Ryan Ellis, because I'm trying to talk quickly and get through these players. My bad, Dan. Um, but yeah, go, uh, I know that I know that Dan Ellis looks for uh, uh, athleticism. Um, I remember how fondly he spoke to me about Arvid Soderblom and just the, the lateral right. transition rates. That's exactly what Adam Guyan has to do. The lateral transitional upside is incredible. Like this is the only goalie in this draft right now who can functionally explode across the net into a full split, catch his inside edge, and then do a split in the opposite direction without making another adjustment. That's a special level of athleticism. What yeah. comes down to hip mobility, I always talk about hip mobility with goalies. One thing that's very interesting is when I track goalies for six to seven years straight, they don't, they don't, they don't uh, change their hip girdle. <laughs> like, right. They have the same hip line. So what that means is there's certain certain goalies just have anatomical advantages that other goalies can't have. In Adam Guyan's case, he has a remarkably elastic hip line. That is the special nature of the player. And it also means, though, that they might get a little more injury prone with hip surgeries. What happened with Eunice Corpusalo, right? right? Eunice Corpusalo is a remarkably dexterous goalie with a, an excellent hip line, and it required a double hip surgery to fix it because that's what happens. The wear and tear, starting and stopping and full splits, having that athleticism, 
does come at a cost. And I bring that back to bigger goalies in general. When you look at Michael Hrabble and, and right. Matt Sogar, you project these, the, the big monoliths in net. One of the problems is their knees, right? Because they're so big and that they have to hold their posture in an awkward position, basically in a squat when they're in their set stance. It really That's it a really lot of can, weight on your knees. It's a lot of weight. So there, there's a give and take here when it comes to, uh, you know, you look at Dustin Wolf at 6 feet, you look at Adam Guyan at 6'3", you look at Michael Rabble at 6'8". There's give and take with all these goalies when it comes to their development systems. Yeah, I'm also like, you know, we got about a minute left before we, we jump off, but I was actually interested in that Martin Misak pick uh, for Chicago in, in the late mm-hmm. second round at 6'2", a 200-pound big kid. Uh, another kid who played for Slovakia, the U-20s, only played three games, um, obviously with Youngstown uh, Phantoms, and had a really good playoff. So I see why they would like that. I'm curious. I have to get a hold of Mike and find out exactly what his, his development path is going to look like over the next couple of years. But he's a guy, you know, quickly thoughts on him in terms of upside because, you know, that's where Chicago, they had so many picks in the second and third rounds, they could take some swings. And that's where I think they took a swing here. Uh, maybe, you know, I, I look at him much more as a complimentary depth power forward, but there, it's interesting when he was an extra Liga, there were, there were flashes of more, right? And that's, yeah. that's the, that's the gift <laughs> with scouting. That's one of the most difficult aspects. I mean, you look at, you look at Elmer Soderblom in his initial draft season. Yeah. Yeah. There, there were flashes of what he is now. There were the hand speed, the dexterity at that size. It was there, but would it be consistent enough? That's Martin Mashayek. Martin yeah. Shayek is an inconsistent north-south power forward who looks more like a complementary piece who will become a human battering ram at the next level, which is totally fine if that's what he becomes. But you're right. There are flashes where maybe there's more. 100%. We're going to take a short break. We come back with our last segment for the Arizona Coyotes right after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But altogether, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. 
outside edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on and off ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hockey Prospect Radio, our 2023 NHL draft review of the Central Division. Brought to you by Outside Edge Player Development for on and off ice training featuring KPI-based conditioning programs at OutsideEdge.ca. We're going to talk about the Arizona Coyotes. Now, I say it up front, and you're probably going to agree with me because we probably had guys in the similar, similar part of the rankings. I thought Simisev, Boot, Harabel were all three excellent picks where they had them. Now, that's just personal preference because I had Semishev at 8 and I had Boot at 15 and they went 6 and 12. So let's talk about Semishev at 6 overall because I do believe, if I remember correctly, you had him at 5 overall. Yeah, I, I had um, I had Semishev at 5. I had Butte at 10. I had Hrabble 18. I had Vadim Rose at 37. So uh, I really like their class. <laughs> really like their draft. Um yeah, so so uh, don't fret, Arizona fans. Don't don't read all all the the detractors online saying you had a terrible draft. And first of all, most people don't actually know any of these players, and they're just reading mainstream media. And uh, I'm going to be honest about this. I won't say names, but um, a lot of these people don't don't watch that much. They don't they've not watched more than a handful of games of Dmitry Simashev. So take it from a staff uh, that actually has watched a whole lot of Dmitry Simashev. Uh, Dmitry Simashev for our money and hockey prospect. Uh, was bonafide the top-rated defenseman in this class. Same with me. I watched even, a ton of tape on him. ton of yeah. tape. Well, it was not contested. It was yeah. not like, oh, well, Reinbacker versus him. It was not the case for our staff. Um, it, you know, Reinbacker comes down to one of those situations where when you look at the draft as a whole and you look at how um, teams operate and how their the trades happen right now that the situation with Reinbacker is much more of a positional need, right? Right shot six, two. Um, that's why you bump him up a list. He does not project to be a more insider type. Uh, however, we do believe that Dmitry Simashev does. And that's the difference is Dmitry Simashev for us can be a bonafide top pairing monster. You're talking about one of the best skaters in this class. He's an elite skater, six, four phenomenal range, exceptionally coordinated, exceptionally dexterous, knows how to use stick instincts, knows how to be uh, a defender that absorbs the rush with contact, but also take away space with his stick and, and skating ability. So very good at closing his gaps. He, he projects to be one of the best defensive shutdown players in this draft, not just off the rush, but in that front as well. When you look at his retrieval rates, they project to be the best in this class because of his handling ability, how he operates with his face, how he operates with his skating base, like his, his lateral agility, his crossovers, his linear crossovers, his ability to explore load is second and none so how he operates he should, around the net line is is honestly is, is he, totally cut, cut he should be an nfl tight end 
that's how athletic he is. He's a very gifted athlete. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I didn't know much about him off ice. You know, we, we based it on ice. I'll say this. He's already speaks English better than me. Yeah, Hands it, down, he's an unbelievable. I was blown away how put together Dimitri Simashev was. I'm really impressed when actually he came. Very to, impressive kid. He came to our broadcast broadcast and we, and we talked to him. And uh, the other guys were, like, really impressed by him from that standpoint. And I... I, you know, I agree with all the, the same assessments because I think you and I assessed him in a in a very similar way in that respect. And, you know, when you look at, I found it very similar to, you know, when, when Montreal had a draft pick and I remember the same kind of sentiment, sentiments coming out about this player in his draft year um, and they ended up trading him away. And so when you look at that, you know, same kind of defenseman in that respect, you know, they end up giving away, you know, Ryan McDonough, but, you know, I'm talking about, you know, Mikhail Sergachev. And when he went ninth overall, there was a lot of backlash about him. And I just said, okay, but he's going to turn out to be, you know, an excellent top pairing defenseman, a number two. And he did. And can Sergachev, I'm not saying that they're the same player because they're not, but I think he has the same kind of upside. He was the only defenseman in this draft class for me that I flirted with saying, Oh, he's gonna. He can be a top pairing D. The rest that he was, there were gonna be threes or lower, and he was the only one that I was willing to go there. And so we're gonna curious to see what happens with him. Uh, let's talk about uh, Daniel Boot because we both talked about him a lot coming into this draft class. And I, where did you have you had him ten on your list, didn't you? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah you had him ten. All right, and I had him fifteen, so we're not far apart. And he went twelve, right, right, right in the middle. Thoughts on him as a player because. I think you and I were, you know, in the same breath, like more high on him than pretty much everybody else. Yeah. So it's interesting. Arizona's draft philosophy, I, I find they're very similar to how I, I think the game, to be honest, there is some bias here. Um, right. You know, you, you look at Julian Lutz, uh, you look at Ilya Fedotov, they both drafted them, very unique players. J.J. Moser. If they, if they hit. J.J. Moser is another player I had very highly ranked. Um, the, what's interesting about Arizona's draft philosophy is they really go for that ceiling and, and look to develop and mold players that are raw. Ilya Fedotov is very raw. Julian Lutz is still, I'll be honest, I think Julian Lutz really needs to come over to North America here. I don't like his development in the DEL right now. Um, but when they drafted him, it was just a very interesting but raw player. Daniel Butte falls in that same category. You're talking about a 6'6 power forward who, who skates very well relative to his size, incredibly competitive. And unlike, we just talked about Felix Nilsson being a calculated playmaker, but he doesn't know how to how to modify his game and have an inside-driven game and use his frame correctly. Daniel Butte does. That's the, this is what makes him so intriguing, is that Daniel Butte has primary playmaking elements, and then you factor in, um, and yes, I know for some of you are going to be pretty shocked by this, there was some Leo Carlson in Daniel Butte. What I mean by that is Leo Carlson, despite being a bigger player, systematically breaks down defense with first phase deception. He looks to use fake contact points. He looks to exaggerate his posture and make sure he puts players in, in, in lanes uh, that he's not going to take so he can explode into space. That's exactly how Leo Carlson operates. It's exactly how Daniel Butte operates. Now, what's very interesting about Daniel Butte is when he gets, when he does telegraph his options, or if he does even incorporate first phase deception, doesn't work, he has the fallback. He has a 6'6 six, six frame with range. Now you look at his handling ability. You look Good at his in tight yeah. handling. Good luck getting the puck away from him. He just leaves the one direction. Happen. You're not getting the puck from him. He's like so a condor. He? He's a he's a condor who's a top six line driving potential. Think 
Valeria Nachushkin, who is more physically underdeveloped at the same age and doesn't work north-south as often. He's another thing that I would really like about Daniel Butte, and I know this would be dis disputed or debated if I was to talk about NHL scouts about this, is that um, a, lot of, a lot of people just want straight lines all the time. I, I disagree with that. I much prefer having, uh, I shouldn't say a lot. I know some people, uh, there's different philosophies out there. The Martin Mashiaks of the world, some some NHL staff prefer that that uh, honest straight line game. Deneau Butte doesn't just play that. He has the ability to attack on angles and work east-west and operate, magnetize the D in and find his lateral options with his passing ability. That's what makes him so interesting. You, you factor in the sense, the playmaking upside, the tenacity, the 6-6 frame, the range, the condor ability you mentioned, the skating base. He's phenomenal in terms of projection. I will say this. If his name was Will Smith, and if he was on the program, he would have shocked all if he went top five. And if, say he went to 12 anyways, it wouldn't be one of those picks that was scoffed at like it kind of was publicly because yeah. he's Russian. If he was an American, he played in the, in the USHL, I guarantee you the debut would have would have gone even higher and nobody would be disputing the pick. Well, let's talk about Michael Horabel at uh, 38. Um, I think you and I were the only ones that had him in the first round. I'm at 21. I actually, cause talking to you and talking to Jason Buchel and I talked to a couple other people that are goalie people. I just, at the end of the day, I, I was comfortable with having him in the first round. I had him at 21 um, and he went to 38. Not a big deal in terms of that. Uh, talk about his up potential upside. Well, uh, hockey prospect, he was our first goalie ranked. Uh, he, he was not in my first round. He was the top of the second for me. I only have 15 A's though in this class. I, I'm on the outside looking in relative to some people. I thought this draft, I'll be honest, I felt validated. Um, I think one of the reasons there was so, uh, no trades in the first round is because I think teams were really worried about what they would get if their player didn't slip to them. Right. I think that's why they didn't move back because I think a lot of people uh, saw the draft like I do being tremendously risky and not nearly as talented within the middle rounds as other people. And, I, and I think that's because of the smaller wingers that had a lot of skill, but weren't fast. There was definitely some of that. Yeah, yeah. there's definitely yeah. some of that. So, so with, okay, going back to the goal, I had Rabble at the top of the second. Uh, I had a, a lot of these goalies lumped together right at the top of the second. Damien, yeah. Clara, Damien Clara was top 32 to me, but you, you, you go down through. I had Jacob Fowler in that range. I had um, uh, Rabble and uh, Guyane all in that range. I've never had that. I have never had four goalies in the top 32 in my ranking ever. Um, part of that is because I love their upside. Another part of that is I was not – confident with a lot of these other players in the B range. Um, that said, going back to the player, Mike Horrible for us, I mean, you're talking about a six, seven prototype goalie who's got every modern element you look for. Uh, he reminds me of a taller Jake Ottinger, which I've mentioned before, but I'll mention again here. Um, if there's a drawback, I know it sounds strange, but uh, it's true for me, which is when you look at his lateral transition upside, I think he needs to work on his groin flexibility. He needs to be able to get lower to the ice on, right. on certain plays. And I know it sounds strange, like why bring that up? Well, a huge factor of it is when you're looking to recover out of a, out of a split or if you're looking to recover out of a fully extended position, you need to be able to pop right back up. And uh, it's harder to do if you don't have the flexibility. But he very, very impressive goalie, excellent pick. Let's do a quick minute on Vadim Moroz, because uh, I know you want to talk about him in what, as well in the third round. Yeah, Vadim Moroz. This was my dark horse of this class. Uh, played in Belarus Minsk up in the KHL. Very, uh, same program Igor Sharangovich came from. That was right. a player I, I thought very highly of. Shout out to Craig Conroy and, and the Flame staff. I have a lot of time for Sharangovich. Uh, Vadim Moroz, different player. Uh, you're looking at a 6'3", 
uh, uh, forward with a lot of range. So a little bit of that condor element you talked about with Butte. Um, this is the thing about Vadim Rose. Right now, it's he looks he looks to have flashes of greatness. It's it's about the consistency rates going up a notch. But in terms of if I showed you his top five best plays of the season, you wouldn't believe it. Unbelievable flashes from this kid. Really interesting raw again raw projection. Interesting right. ceiling. I had a ton of time for him. I think he's a very uh, intelligent player. He's a very good playmaker relative to his size. So the Demaros, there you go. Well, this has been another episode of Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio, powered by Instat Hockey, Junior Prospect Hockey League, Fractal Hockey Consulting, and Outside Edge Player Development. You can listen to the show on your favorite podcast network uh, or on the Sirius XM app or on YouTube. Follow us at Twitter at HP Radio or at HockeyProspectRadio.com. Uh, thank you to Brad. I'm Shane Malloy, and we will see you at the rink.